It's our prayer today that you, whether you're in this room, whether you are at one of our other campuses, or whether you're one of the many who join us each week online, that you understand that in a world of need, there's one name that changes everything. My little girl is the most social being that I know. (laughs) She never meets a stranger. And just in a moment of confession, that's sometime wearing on her parents. Because sometimes it's like kamikaze friendliness. For example, if we're at a Target checkout line and she hears the person say, hey, how are you doing? Or if we're just walking down an aisle in Publix and she hears someone say, where's the grits? (laughs) She instantly says, hello, what's your name? And so that's caused some interesting conversations. Because after they share the name, she then always asks, in their presence, at full volume, her parents, what can I call them? which created more awkward moments. Now, the reason she asked that is because her mom and I were raised kind of with what we call Southern manners. For example, though I spent a lot of time at my friend Rodney's house, and his parents were kind of like my parents, I would never call Miss Sprayberry Ann or even Miss Ann because I was young and she was an adult, and I called her Miss Sprayberry. And so that's the way we've raised our children. And so when she meets people and they say, my name is Ann, she wants to know, okay, what is their age? Because she can't see, so what shall I call them? Ann or Miss Sprayberry, for example. But in an effort to make uh, that a little less awkward, we've now taught her that she can ask them, after hearing their name, what would you like me to call you? Because sometimes it would just get confusing. Today, as we continue our study in Matthew chapter 6, another one of those most familiar passages in all of Scripture, we see that Jesus himself tells us what God wants us to call him. And it's interesting. It's a very interesting name. As we see this part of what we call the Lord's Prayer, or you could call the model prayer, or maybe we should call the disciples' prayer, we learn an important lesson. And here it is. When we talk to God, everything hinges on our relationship with Him. That shouldn't surprise you because that's kind of true as we talk to anybody, right? You don't just walk up to people you don't know and ask them about their medical condition. Our relationships determine so much about our conversation. And that's true in our relationship with God. I remind you of the context of what's taking place here. The disciples in Luke 11, in verse 1, we have it written out, they had come to Jesus and they they see him praying and he stops praying. And so they say to him in Luke 11, 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Now that in itself is interesting, isn't it? These disciples, students of the living God. They didn't say, teach us to do the miracles. They didn't say, teach us to command an audience like you do when you speak. 
but teach us to pray. And we can assume that they did this on multiple occasions. Because this prayer, as Albert Moeller says, that takes 20 seconds to recite, can take a lifetime to truly learn. So in Matthew's account, we don't see that they ask him to pray, but we see his response. This is how you should pray. Prayer for me is not always easy. I suppose it's probably not for you either. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, there's nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Think about it. Coming to church, (laughs) that's pretty easy. Even standing up to sing in your big group like this, even if you don't have good tone, that's pretty easy. You may even give something in the offering. That can be easy. But to pray, to communicate with God on more than a surface level where you're just maybe praying as children do. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for the food. Or praying as you were taught as a child. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But praying on a level where we understand what it means to commune with God, to talk to Him and and to think that He's listening and then to listen and and know that He's speaking. I mean, that's difficult and it takes discipline. And, And I would tell you after a lifetime hanging around Christians Most of us still need to listen to the words of the master when he teaches us how to pray. Because prayer at the very core is an invitation to God to communicate with us. It's pretty awesome that we think we can talk to God. That's different in Christianity. Most other world religions, they talk at God, but they see him as such a distant deity, so great and unable to be related to that they're more talking in his direction. But we not only believe we can talk to God, we believe that he wants to communicate with us. So so we don't pray to instruct him because he already knows everything to do. We don't pray to inform him because he already knows everything that is taking place. We certainly don't pray to impress him because he's not impressed with our words. He spoke a word and the world became existence. We pray to invite him to commune with us. And that, (laughs) that's why how we pray is so important. And so in response to that question, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now we probably should pause and just focus on that word for a second because it's not unfamiliar to us who hang out in this room. Either you're a person who pushed away from coming to church or maybe you still don't go to church, you're watching online and you're listening in some capacity, but you not dare going to church because that's where the hypocrites are. Or you've invited your friends, your family, those in your little corner of the world to worship with you in a corporate setting and they say no and the church is just full of hypocrites and yet... Jesus makes it clear here what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is not someone who follows God and is just doing a poor job at it. A hypocrite is an imitation, an actor, someone who's not really the real deal. 
We know that because of what Jesus says when he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, and they want to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've already received their reward in full. In other words, I'm not listening to them. I don't hear them because they're not talking to me. They're fakes. But when you pray, go to your room. Close the door. And pray to, notice this, your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like, and now he makes it clear as if there were any doubt, he says like pagans. Some of your translations say like the Gentiles, like those who are not only not Jewish in a religion that I'm going to tell you I transcend, but they don't even pretend to know God. And yet they pray. Jesus is telling us something here that there are those who do not know God. There are those who have no relationship to the Almighty that for some reason, because it's natural within us, they are drawn to try to talk to Him. But don't babble like the pagans, He says, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I want us to pray once more. It's always important to me to pray that God would move me out of the way anytime I stand before you. I am a sinner saved by His grace, called in a mysterious way to be at this place. And so I need Him. I'm also praying for you because... None of us need more religion. We really don't. We don't need a ritualistic experience. I'll explain that in a moment. We we need to encounter God. We need to hear from Him. And so I'm praying for you. And then when we get to the end of this prayer, I want us to do what early Christ followers um, did every time they gathered. They prayed this prayer. So I want to invite you to stand with me. And at the end of my time of praying for myself and praying for you, um, I want to invite you to join me in this prayer we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, if you know this. But let's pray together. Oh, so Father, we have gathered today in your presence, worshiping you, the one who makes a way when there seems to be no way, the one that shines the light when the world is dark around us, the word, the one who keeps your word when everyone else lets us down. You are worthy and you are present. We worship you, Father. We love you, Jesus. We, we recognize what you've done. We've sung about that too as we've worshipped you. We, we realize that we're here because of your name, Jesus. Because of the power, the majesty, the sacrifice represented in your name. 
and spirit of the living God, you have indwelt us. You, you are here with us. So teach us. We've not arrived yet. We need to know more. Give us those things we don't have. And make us more like you. Oh, make us more like you, Jesus. And Lord, let the words I say in my thoughts be pleasing to you. There's so many things that distract me. And I know my enemy, he would seek to distract me. And this message is so important. So would you move me out of the way and use this for your glory? Continuing to teach us how to pray, just as you taught the disciples when you said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We're learning how to talk to God. And today, as I told you, we're learning that everything hinges when we talk to God on our relationship with God. So I really should begin by asking you, what is your relationship with God? So all of you can think about that right now, right? I mean, some of you see God as Jesus is going to describe him as your heavenly father. But some of you don't. Some of you see God as that distant deity. Some of you see God kind of as a cosmic killjoy. He's just waiting to zap you when you step out of line. Uh, some of you see God like you saw Santa Claus as a child, and you just go to him when you want something. How do you see God? What is your relationship with him? We're really just looking at four words because every word that Jesus said in this short prayer is so important. So these first four words, our father in heaven, they tell us so much. The first thing they tell us, your relationship with God is personal. And that changes things from the way most of the world prays. That changed things from the way the Jewish people prayed, even in Jesus' day. That's why they were asking him, we see that something is different, Jesus. We see that when you go away, there's emotion, there's passion. We don't hear you just reciting the same thing over and over again. Teach us to pray like you prayed. As Jesus began his lesson, he said, you pray, our Father. I can relate to this. I grew up in a loving and godly home. My parents cared for me. My dad, still my hero. Even this week, as I was just walking through life, I I thought, man, I wish I was more like my dad. And, and really, I hope you have people like that in your life. And that's okay to follow after other people as they're following after Jesus. And so conversations with my dad were special. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes my dad made me angry. And sometimes I would talk to him and I would not like what he would have to say. It's at those points that I would say, hey, can I talk to my mother, <laughs> please? 
But I've talked to my dad as in my adult life as long as he could almost every day. We would compare notes when he was active in ministry. I would seek wisdom from him. I remember when I, I called dad in moments of sinfulness and really some confession and Probably one of my greatest fears was how he would respond. And, and he showed such grace and demonstrated such great love. In his latter year, dad couldn't talk much. When he first got sick, he could talk a little more and it didn't always make sense. And we had some really funny conversations. But when his, when his talking ceased, it was more one way, at least as far as the outward communication. When COVID began to hit, um, the nursing home would not let us in. And, and so even from a distance, I would call every few days and a nurse would take the phone to my dad and put it at his ear. And sometime all I could say was, I love you. His last two nights... On this side of heaven, I, um, I was with him all night long, and I would just hold his hand or, or put my head on his chest, and I would just say, I love you. And I spent that time just telling him the different reasons I loved him, thanking him for what he meant to me, telling him about the things he did good and the difference he had made. Why? Because communicating with my dad was special to me. Now, I'm a communicator for a living. That's what I do, right? So I, I haven't done that incorrectly. I understand for some of you this was a very uncomfortable moment because you don't have or you didn't have what I experienced. And what I've learned is that our relationship with our earthly father can have as big of an impact on our relationship with God as anything else in this world. And some of you, because of that absence or that bad relationship with your earthly father, it's impacted you when you hear about calling God our father. And I want to help you through that today. I want you to understand that just because your earthly dad was bad or is bad, you don't need to miss out on the best dad that there is. He wants to be your heavenly father. He wants to demonstrate his love for you. In fact, he wants you to love him in the most intimate way. And I know this because the word that Jesus uses here, it's, it's really the word daddy. In the Greek, it would be translated father, but Jesus spoke Aramaic. And so he was talking to his disciples. The word he used would have been Abba, daddy. <laughs> I love that word. We've got five children. Four of them have kind of entered into adulthood, young adulthood. Some of them think they grow past saying daddy. One of them, when he went off to college, he changed my name in his phone, in his contacts, from daddy to dad. I discovered that. I'm not sure. I'm sure one of his brothers told on him. But I, I discovered that, and I said, why did you do this? He said, because I don't want to get beat up. <laughs> one of my other sons, when I call him still to this day, if I call him today, he'll pick up the phone if he answers, and he'll say, hey, daddy. 
I love it. He's strong. He's a young man. But boy, that's an intimate way to speak to me. And that's the way Jesus tells us to pray. And this was earth shattering. It was brand new. It was different. In the Old Testament, we only see God referred to as father 15 times. He is, he is referred to as father, but it's only 15 times. And it's more as the father of Israel, the father of nation, the father who will lead you out into Exodus. But now Jesus says, this father God wants to be your daddy. And in the New Testament, we see, Jesus, we see God referred to as Father more than 250 times. And 170 of those are from Jesus. In fact, every time he prays except one, he prays to God, his Father. The one time he doesn't is when he's on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is this so significant? Why does he do that? Why does he address God in this way? He's making it clear that we can call God Father. And I think he's doing this because at the core of our relationship with God is this intimate reality that we are his children. That's the primary relationship God wants us to understand. And it stands in sharp contrast, doesn't it, to the religiosity in verses 5 through 8 where you pray to some deity and maybe you repeat the same prayers over and over again or you pray in public just so people will hear you and make it more eloquent and, and you can get a crowd going. Or, or you, you pray just because you want something. No, it's not business. It's family. It's the difference between religion and relationship. It's at the heart of even that Nicodemus conversation in John chapter 3 when, when Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, okay, I like you and I like what I see about you and around you, but what do I need to do to have what you've got? And Jesus laughed and said, you have to be born again. You have to be born into my family. You understand the difference, right? Right? Those people at Target and, and those people we pass in the aisle at Publix, they may be friendly, but they're not family. And, and so some conversation is not appropriate when it's not your family because there's a different kind of relationship. Religion puts the focus on business. Relationship puts the focus on family. Business is transactional. Family is transformational. So you need to decide today, what kind of relationship are you currently pursuing with God? But because the fact that you're here means you're at least not closed off to who God is. But some of you are still interacting with God as if this is a business relationship. Business is what I have. I've got stuff in my pocket or in my wallet, and if I give that to you, then you give me what's in your pocket or in your wallet. Business is what we do at a store, whereas family is who I am. I'm here not because of what I have. I'm here because of who I am. Business is conditional. If I don't like the service, I stop going. Family, at least is supposed to be, is unconditional. Business is about doing. Family is about being. So you want to know where you are on the spectrum? 
what happens when you pray and it's not answered the way you think it should be. When you ask God for something and it doesn't happen. You realize that takes place sometimes, right? How many of you have asked God for something and it didn't turn out the way you had hoped? We prayed that someone would not die and they died. We prayed that someone would be healed and they're still sick. We pray that something would come to pass and it didn't. So if I'm in a business relationship with God, when that happens, what do I do? I get angry. Because he didn't do what he was supposed to do based on what I did. If I'm in a family relationship, I may get anxious, but my anxiety is different. I begin to look inward. And I begin to say, what might I have done to create this situation? Now the reality is, just so you know, God doesn't always work that way, right? Because he's not the cosmic killjoy. So there's not necessarily something that we've done. Sometimes we don't get our prayers answered the way we like because we live in a fallen world. We know that. Jesus was asked by his disciples, why is this man blind? Who sinned? Did he sin or his parents sin? And Jesus said, this is not about personal sin. He was born this way. The world is fallen. There's sin in this world. And, and sometimes bad things happen. But if I've got a family relationship with God, I don't start pointing my finger at him, I begin looking at myself and say, how do I grow in this relationship? So some of you are beginning to realize, I don't think I have a relationship with God. That doesn't mean you haven't been religious. You'll hear this often in our context. I might say you could be Baptist or Catholic or Methodist or Episcopal or Presbyterian or Lutheran or Assembly of God, fill in the blank, whatever, non-denominational. And I may even say, hey, you may have been through a lot of rituals like church class or first communion or in our Baptist churches, it's raising your hand or walking down the aisles or being dunked in the water, going to a new member class. But that's not the same as a relationship, is it? So how do you get that relationship? How do you get to a place where you could say, our father, it's different than what some think. Because some people today, in fact, I would say the majority of people in the world today think there's only one God, right? Muslims, Christians, Hindus, Buddhists, we all worship one God, right? There's only one Father. We're all God's children, right? That's what I heard on Oprah. No. God's the creator of all. But if Scripture is true, and I believe every word of Scripture is true, the Bible makes it very clear that not everybody is a child of God. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says in John 8 and verse 42, If God were your Father, you would love me. So at, at the very outset, we, we see He's talking to people, and He's telling them, God is not your Father. If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Now, why did he say that? Because apparently they were looking at him going, say, what? You're telling me we're not all children of God? You're telling me all this time I thought I could say to God anything I want and he would hear me, but you're telling me, Jesus, I'm not a child of God? Verse 44, you are your, of your father the devil. What? I'm not only not a child of God, I'm a child of the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand for the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar 
and the father of lies. Put your seatbelt on because some of you are about to be shaken up a little bit. Some are hearing these words and you are not a child of God. You're a child of the devil. I know this because when we were born, we were born as children of the devil. I recognize I won't become famous for giving a TED talk saying those words. But that's scriptural. It may not be a TikTok sensation, but it's scriptural. See, when we're born, we're stamped with a nature of sin. It's not just that you do bad things. You are a sinner. That's at the very core of who you are. If that were not be true, we would not need the death, the burial, and the resurrection for Jesus. If we were not stamped with that nature of sin, everything in the New Testament would be invalid. But it is true. The Bible says the only punishment for sin, you ready, is death. And the Bible says that that death takes place in hell. And then the Bible says that God doesn't want that for anyone. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to take the punishment for your sin. There's a big theological word that describes it. It's called propitiation. It it says that when Jesus died on the cross, the wrath of God, the anger over sin of God for your sin and your sin and my sin, it was poured out on Jesus. Jesus really did, as the old hymn says, paid it all. He took it all so that we could be adopted into the family of God. But... If you've never really understood that, today, right now, you're a child of your father, the devil. So how do we, how do we switch families? <laughs> how do we get into the family of God? Well, we have to have an adoption story. Some of you know our adoption story. One day I'm going to slow down enough to write it. It's, it's full of miracles and it's full of God's grace. It's not easy. It's not always a pretty story, but it's a, it's a God story. And every person who's been adopted into the family of God has an adoption story. And they all look differently, right? For some of us, we were blessed. We didn't do anything. I didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. But for some reason, I was born into a family that my mom and dad loved Jesus and I heard about Jesus at an early age, so when I was seven years old, I not only became, I not only was a purpose, I became a child of God. And I did that because I understood that nature of sin in me, and I understood what Jesus did to meet my need of, of punishment, and, and I trusted Jesus. And your, your adoption story may be different if you've had one. Maybe you wandered down a path for much of your life without God, and you've got all kind of pain and all kind of consequences uh, because of that, but the grace of God reached out to you and radically saved you. And because of that, you're now part of the family of God. But you got to have some kind of adoption story or you're not, you're, you're not a child of God. John, in John 1 and verse 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. I would ask you, have you been born again? Have you been born into the family of God by being adopted as one of his children? How does that take place? Paul describes it in Galatians 4. Listen to what it says. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. He sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now stop. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, that's a misprint, isn't it? Or at least it needs to be updated to be gender neutral because didn't God want to adopt us some as sons and some as son as daughters? And the answer here is no. Because in the days that these words would have been said, daughters weren't adopted. But sons were. Daughters could be brought into the household. They could kind of be brought into the family, but they wouldn't have any rights. They wouldn't have any privileges and they certainly wouldn't have an inheritance. But when a son was adopted, they got the seal of the family. And that's why Paul goes on to say, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He again describes this in Romans 8, and it really gets exciting. For for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. You understand what's taking place here? When you're adopted into God's family, your relational status with Him changes. God did create the entire planet. Everybody that lives is created by God. He desires a relationship with everyone. But all have not been adopted into His family. But when your story takes place, that status changes for you. I told you about our daughter. We, we first met her when she was two years old. She was blessed to have, and is blessed, to have very loving and, and generous great-grandparents. But in the midst of this, she was growing up in a, a very difficult birth situation. And in that situation, she had to be taken from her home. She hadn't really been around adults. She had not really been around many other children And because of that, everything about how she communicated had to be told very specifically. When we first met her, she she called me Pastor Paul. That's who I was. That's who I am. Just after she turned three, she began to hang out in our home and in a couple months kind of live in our home. And we thought because we knew where we were headed, it was okay. And she began to call me dad because she had never called anyone dad. But we're about to celebrate what we call her gotcha day. Her gotcha day is when legally everything changed. And we went to court. And I have to tell you, I told you, I lived a a pretty blessed life. And I've never been in court because I was in trouble. (laughs) No offense to any of you that have, but I I just haven't. And, And so 
I was scared to death because I knew that judge was going to look at us and ask us questions. And that is the day where everything became legal. And after that day, things changed for Anaya. Her behavior didn't change instantly. That was impacted because of the life that she had lived. And you know that's true spiritually, right? Our adoption into God's family doesn't always mean an immediate change in your behavior, but it does always mean an immediate change in your relationship. There's a new intimacy with God. We begin to call Him Daddy. There's a new identity with God. On that day, Anaya's name changed to Anaya Purvis. On that day. And on the day that you began a relationship with God and you were adopted into His family, your identity changes. You are a child of God. You're, His stamp is on your life. The Bible tells you that the Spirit of God seals you. And nothing can take that away. And bless God, if I was sitting in a seat out there, I would say hallelujah. changes our identity, but it also changes our inheritance. All of a sudden, I have opportunity to receive everything he's got. I mean, just think, some of you don't understand this, and it's biblical. The Bible says that when you're adopted into God's family, you are joint heirs with Christ. What if you got a notification today that you were joint heirs with Bezos, the founder of Amazon? That'd be kind of exciting, right? I, I'm going to get the same thing any of his children get. Well, the Bible says that if you are adopted into God's family, it's better than that. You have all the rights, all the privileges. You're no different. And on that day where Anaya's status changed, that's what happened to her. She's my child, and nothing will ever take that away. Nothing will keep her from getting all the blessings and all the benefits, all the perks that her brothers get. It's a personal relationship. And God wants that kind of personal relationship with you. Your relationship with God is personal, but that's just one word in the four words. Let's talk about the first word. He's our Father. Did you miss that? You see, Jesus is making a point here. Our relationship with God is personal, but it is not private. You, none of us are intended to be secret agent Christians. That's why we're gathered here, right? That's why when it's healthy and, and when we're able and we're safe, corporate worship is important. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake coming together because you need each other. This is something we do together. It's a journey of faith that we bring others along with. There were times where Jesus talked to people and said, now, if you're having personal prayer and you should be personally praying, you say, your father. And, and then we knew there were times where Jesus talked about his distinct relationship with God because we are different. We're not God. We're not perfect as Jesus is. And so there are times he said, my father. But in this case, he says, our father. Because we need each other. In a world of rugged individualism, God intends us to be righteously interdependent. 
We must come together. That's why Jesus, when He prayed for you and me, He didn't pray that we would have our best life now. He didn't pray that we would be rich. He didn't pray that we'd be popular or famous. He prayed that we would be one. So by the way, some of you, you know you're a Christ follower. You know you're a part of God's family, but you look at your prayer life and you think, man, I don't think it's making it past the ceiling. And I don't know why. And for some of you, it's all caught up in this word, our. Because we'll never have an effective relationship vertically with our Father if we have ineffective relationships horizontally with our brothers and sisters. And again, I've been hanging out with profession Christians all my life. And there's a lot of confusion on this. People who think you can just do your thing and be mad at whoever and leave this church or go to that church or have splits and division, get upset, whether it's over politics or race or viruses for Pete's sake. And it doesn't matter? No. That's why Jesus said, hey, when you go to worship, before you start bringing your gifts to the Lord, go make sure you're right with those in your little corner of the world. Our Father. I love this little poem. It says, you cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say my. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for one another. And when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. For others are included in each and every plea from the beginning to the end. It, it does not once say me. Our Father. Your relationship with God's personal, but your relationship with God was never intended to be private. Finally, our Father in heaven. Why do we have that? Is it about his location? I don't think it is. I think it's more about our motivation. You see, your relationship with God must be seen with a proper perspective. Our Father is in heaven, and yes, this is a place, but in this case, it's not as much as about a different place as it is about a different plane. God wants us to understand that while He is with us, He's imminent, it's a theological word, He's also above us, He's transcendent, or He's sovereign, He's different from us. This is not as much about distance as about His difference. Now, what does that mean? He sees things from a different perspective. He's not just our Father. Remember how He introduced Himself to Moses? He's the great I Am. That means He knows what was, He knows what is, He knows what forever will be. That means when he, you go to Him in prayer, He knows what you've been through, He knows what you're facing, and He knows what's going to happen. He already knows the outcome. Please explain that to me, Pastor Paul. I can't. You just got to trust Him. He's the great I Am. We aren't. But because of that, when I pray, it changes my perspective, right? You see, if I see Him as our Father in heaven, the one who transcends all, it gives me reason to trust. It gives me hope and confidence and motivation. God, You know everything that is. So Lord, Please bring this to be according to your will and for your glory. You see what he's saying? 
when you talk to God, everything hinges on your relationship with Him. We've just celebrated the anniversary of 9-11. And one of the things, if you watched many documentaries or much of the news, you realize that on Flight 93, for example, some say that most of the plane began to recite what they called the Our Father. It's kind of hard to realize this. But those words only have meaning to those of us who have been adopted into his family. In fact, the fact that he's in heaven really only has meaning to those of us who are adopted into his family. So what I want to do <laughs> is make sure everybody I meet knows the importance of being adopted into his family. So just in case there's any doubt, let me tell you how much God loves you. It says in 1 John in chapter 3 and verse 1, see what kind of love the Father's given us that we should be called the children of God. God loves you so much that he did everything necessary for you to be adopted into his family. You just got to show up and say, I'm ready. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates His love and that while we're still sinners, Christ dies for us. That's about as big a deal as He could make for you. I've got a confession to make. I like to watch movies. <laughs> and sometimes... I really like to watch action and thriller movies. And I like the Taken movies. I don't know if some of you have seen those with Liam Neeson. He kind of scares me, but I like watching those. And because I travel so much, I, I, I watched the first one when it came out. And, and then we encourage teenagers to even watch that with their parents before we take them internationally because we want them to understand how dangerous the world is. But you know some of the plot, at least some of you do. This man's daughter is taken. He's a former government specialist who's done all kind of things, taken all kind of lives, working for the military. And so he sets out to get his daughter back in the first taken. And he ends up on the phone with the person who captured her, the kidnapper. I want you to tune into his conversation. <laughs> this is what he says. I don't know who you are. Oh, oh, sorry. I just got carried away there for a second. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare to people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. <laughs> Have a nice day. 
when I heard that the first time, I thought, you know, I think my earthly dad would have done something like that. But I know my heavenly daddy did do that. You see, there's an evil one who the Bible says roams to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. His whole purpose is your destruction. He's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But when Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect sinless life and then died on the cross, that was God's evidence of hunting down your enemy and killing him. Because when Jesus died on the cross, your enemy, your other father, he lost. He died. He's a defeated foe. All he can do is disrupt your life. If you've trusted Jesus and you've been adopted into his family. Oh, how great my father's love for us. If you know you've got that relationship with God, that personal relationship, and He is your Father, I, I want to challenge you to do a couple of things. Turn up the level of your prayer life. You're in a church that gives you a lot of opportunities. We've got House of Prayer on Wednesday nights. I meet with people every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. and pray. There are other opportunities throughout the week. We're encouraging you to be a part of 24-7 prayer where we get people praying every hour of every day of every week for a year. You can go to our website, missionhill.org, and you can see how to sign up for that. You can also be a part of something I did this morning. It's called Bless Every Home. You can go to blesseveryhome.com, and at that website you can sign up, and, and you have a way to pray for your neighbors by name. I, I prayed for several of my neighbors this morning. Maybe you just need to set aside some more time for prayer. But just turn it up a notch. Go up a level in your prayer life. But some of you, this needs to be your gotcha day. You need to be adopted into God's family. You need to be saved. So I want to invite you to do that right now. Let's make it personal. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? If you've never truly begun a relationship with God, maybe you realized I've had business, but I'm not in the family. I've been religious, but I don't have a relationship. If that's you, let's make that right right now. The Bible says that all you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus really is the Lord and believe in your heart that He's alive, that God raised Him from the dead. And at that moment, you're adopted in the family. It's called being saved. What are you saved from? You're saved from your sin. You're, you're saved from yourself. You're saved from that punishment of death and hell. What are you saved to? You're saved to a heavenly Father who loves you deeply and has gone to great lengths to show that love. And he's not going to back down just because you've become one of his children. So how about it? How many of you right now would say, Pastor Paul, I, I know without any doubt, I remember my gotcha day. I, I know when I became 
a child of God. I know when I was adopted into the family of God. If that's you right where you are, would you just lift up your hand? Or or maybe if you're watching online, maybe you would just tell someone in the comments there, praise God. That's awesome. Isn't it great to have that confidence? Praise the Lord. All right. So now a lot of you, you couldn't do that. I'm not your judge. I'm just a communicator today, a minister of the gospel. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your earthly future holds, but I know you have an opportunity right now to change things. And that's by crying out to God. You don't need me. You can do it on your own words. You can say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I'm turning from my sinful life to you, Jesus, and I want to be part of your family, God. Or if you need a little help, you could pray a prayer like this. Some of you need to pray this prayer right now. Father, God, I want to call you Father. But I understand I'm not in your family. I'm a sinner. I still need to be saved. I just feel led right now. Some of you may even just need to tell him, hey, I've... God, I've, I've, I've been religious. It's not that I'm a bad person, but I realized I'm not a part of your family. Whatever you need to tell him about that. And then maybe tell him, Jesus, I believe you died for me so I could be forgiven. I receive your forgiveness. I'm turning from my way trusting you, Jesus. Change me. Save me, God. Adopt me into your family. And he will. And he has. I tell him this. For the first time in an appropriate way, just say, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Father. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're going to celebrate and worship and what this relation means to all of us in just a moment. But some of you, remember, this is deeply personal, but it's not private. So I want to be the first step of you sharing what you've just done publicly. Do you know last service in this room alone, we had a couple of people that publicly identified they began a relationship with Christ. So I I know there's some of you in this room. If, If you just prayed that prayer with me or maybe one in your own words and you just began a relationship with Christ, you can now call God your father. Would you just slip your hand up right now all across this room? Would you just do that? It's the most important profession that you could ever make of what God has done in your life. Welcome to God's family. So God, as we worship you, We just declare, man, it's good to be your child. In a world where so much is wrong, being in your family is so right. Lord, thank you for those today that can celebrate that. Lord, thank you for those today that began that relationship with you. And Lord, for those that are still unsure, may may this day, before their head hits the pillow tonight, may they just cry out to you and, and begin that relationship that changes everything. Because God, you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our celebration. We're in all of you as we worship you even now. In the mighty name of Jesus.